0: that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking of the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church, and we love Jesus, and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us, and we're glad you're here.
1: Happy Mother's Day to all you mamas, by the way. I've been blessed in my life with a lot of amazing. Uh, Ladies, from my mom to my stepmom uh, to my beautiful wife, uh, a a slew of spiritual mothers and sisters all across this country, uh, the View Crew, uh, my grandmothers are a big, big part of, of my story, if you, if you know me. And, and I feel a lot like Timothy to some degree today, uh, from where Pastor Cody led us in week one early on. And he talked about Timothy's faith was a faith that first originated or came from uh, his grandmother, his, his mamaw, Lois, and uh, from his mom, Eunice. And for me, one of the most precious possessions that I have Uh, That I own is a a, a group of Bible studies that my grandmother had uh, before she left this planet. My dad's mom. And in those Bible studies, I went back and looked at some of those this week. And she had written down in there um, uh, prayers for me and for my, my strength, for my salvation long, long before I had ever, ever considered Jesus. And I share that with you because I want, I want to spur you ladies on this morning um, to use that as the standard, to keep making deposits in the people around you. Keep praying for your spouse. Keep praying for your kids, uh, grandparents. Keep praying for your, your grandkids. Keep praying for your family uh, because a a, a a woman who knows her Bible and who is a praying woman, she is a powerful woman, amen. And I am most definitely a, a byproduct of that faith, you know. Uh, the most important thing that you ever do for the kingdom of God may not come from you, but it may be, come from someone that you raise. So keep on making deposits in the people around you. Guard your deposit well. And actually that's what we're talking about uh, this morning: being guardians of the gospel. Hey, can you cue that music for me? You can cut cut that. (laughs) This is my Mother's Day gift to you, Pastor Cody, Pastor Johan. Pastor John and Pastor Isaac, that's our pastors up there. So uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is, or Guardians of the Gospel is what we're talking about this morning, and I kind of give you where we've been so it can bring you to where we're going today. And uh, last week, Pastor Johan, he talked about, week number two, he talked about what is the Gospel, and he listed a whole bunch of things that the Gospel is, that it's Christological, that it's historical, that it's factual. But one thing in particular that he pointed out to us is that the Gospel gives you and me the strength to endure. So that whenever we find ourselves um, in circumstances that shift or when storms of life crash in on us, if our faith is rooted, then we won't get blown around and we can find grace even when we're in a prison cell. And then week number one, uh, Pastor Cody uh, came to us and, and, and talked to us about uh, expanding our gift, where Paul encouraged Timothy to fan the flame, remember the story of the embers, to fan the flame of his gift, to keep expanding his gift. Uh, Paul was telling Timothy, hey, keep making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. He was telling Timothy, keep planting churches that plant churches that plant churches. Keep expanding your gift and to finish his fight. And Pastor Cody said that uh, one thing in particular, uh, he said that it's a boldness, Uh, in the Christian's life that's the mark of the Holy Spirit and not a cowardice. And so we have to work to finish our fight. And so today... Uh, as guardians of the gospel, what we're, what we're talking about, this train of thought has run from Timothy, um, or from Paul to Timothy, really it started in verse 6 and it's come all the way to uh, verse 18 today, which is where we're going, 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you have your Bible, we'll read verses 12 through 18 and it's still in this idea, still in this atmosphere of reminding us to keep our God-given gifts alive. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip there with me, Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Do you love Jesus, Rest Church? Are you ready to study his word this morning? Okay, we'll read this together. Uh, Starting verse 12, uh, this is Paul, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered to me. Ephesus. The main truth we're going to carry with us this morning as we look at guardians of the gospel is that you've been given a divine deposit, a good gift in the gospel. And so I don't want you to waste it. So we'll pray and then we'll walk through this together. Jesus, we love you and, and God, we invite you into this space today. Lord, I, I want to pray particularly for our ladies, for our moms that are here. God, it's because of you and them, uh, us men are so much better. And so we thank you for all of their kindness and their sacrifice and everything they do for their families and and more importantly, everything they do for the gospel to make you known, Jesus. Um, I I speak a nap into their day today, just some rest for all the good they do. Um, And and Jesus, secondarily, I want to pray for those who've come in this morning and and maybe things are chaotic in their life, in their world. Uh, Maybe they're lonely or sick or depressed or in pain. I pray that, that you would just give them grace, God. And that, Lord, even though we might not always know what you're doing or what you're up to, God, we know who you are and we know who we believe in. And so we just find rest in that. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you teach us today uh, through your word? And all of God's people said, Amen. So we're going to start right back in at verse 12 and and look at B of 12. And I'll just refresh you really quickly. Part A of verse 12 that Johan talked about last week, uh, where he left off was, was, which is why I suffer as I do. And, and Johan talked about why Paul was able to suffer for uh, the gospel and and that Paul embraced suffering because Paul knew Jesus. Paul had seen Jesus suffer for him. And so, in turn, it gave Paul the power to suffer for Jesus. But Paul is still in prison at this moment. That's still his position that he's in, that's his circumstance. And he doesn't have much hope of getting out. And this is what he says, part B. Of Twelve, But I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So it's against this kind of backdrop of despair that Paul's in when he makes this proclamation out to Timothy and he says, But I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul's not humiliated. He's not bashful. He's not intimidated of the prison that he's setting in because he knows that it's been done and is suffering for the sake of the gospel that's been entrusted to him. And this goes against all of the ways that we typically should feel when, when bad things happen to us. And for Paul, there was social pressure around him to kind of bow out or to compromise. It was all around him, just like it's around you and me today. Just like Johan talked about last week with other religions and moralistic therapeutic deism. There's all of these people that want us to compromise when it comes to the word of God and the gospel. But Paul has watched his friends be mocked and killed for the cause of Christ. And even with his own death sentence, staring him right in the faith. Face, he says, I wouldn't go back and redo what God's done through me to put me right here in this prison. He says, I'm not ashamed. And he tells us why in that same verse. He says, For I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. The day, the day that Paul is talking about here is the, is the moment either after Paul would die. Jesus, or if he was still alive and Jesus' return, whichever were were to come first, he knew that his time was near, and so he's talking about that day, and Paul, just like you, just like me, he had a day to face, every one of us has a day to face, we all have a last breath that we have to, to, to breathe in our bodies, where we will stand before the living God, and you and me will have to give an account of our life for what we've done. You know, when we talk about that, giving an account of our lives, sometimes what we'll do um, in, in our conversations, even in our languages, we'll borrow from a, like funerary cut, uh, Egyptian mythology or Greek mythology, and we'll talk about the scales of our life, and we hope that they're balanced out. Like, I hope that I've done more good than I have bad. I hope I've done more right than I, I've done wrong. But Paul here, he smashes, he smashes that idea of social justice And he says, he doesn't list out his resume to Timothy, he doesn't tell war stories about how awesome he's been or how much he's done, but instead, he just says, I'm good on that day because I know whom I have believed. And that, like, you gotta love that kind of confidence that comes from the Apostle Paul in this moment, whenever whenever he's looking at the end of his life, and he says that he's convinced And I'm convinced that Paul was convinced, because otherwise, why would he be in a prison for no reason? And in the midst of this intense persecution and pain, not not rainbows and red jello, the apostle Paul goes, hey, this sucks, but I know who I believe. And so this no, this no in the verse from Paul, it's not just a cerebral no. It's not just a, a head knowledge that he has in, in his life, but this is a practical uh, application, a personal, a prison application where he, he knows Jesus on an intimate level because he's not about to die for some ideal. He knows Jesus. And, and he knows the one who has completely changed him. And he says, I know him and I trust him. He says, I trust This is the words that he'll guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. See, the apostle Paul, he gave everything to the gospel. His reputation, his life's work, his life, his body, everything that was precious to the Apostle Paul, he submitted and turned over to Jesus. And so he kind of pushed in all of his chips at this moment for the gospel because he knew that God was able to guard the deposit that he had turned over to the Apostle Paul. And when you look at this verse, a more literal translation in the Greek would be this, he is able to guard my deposit. And a deposit, that's something of value, right? And and, in this section here, what it's talking about, it's it's something precious that's handed over to a secondary party that's that's, uh, given to them for safekeeping. And the deposit was the Apostle Paul himself, right? It's his life, it's his work, it's his soul for Christ to guard. But bigger than even all of that, it's the gospel. That's the deposit that he's talking about, that he's deposited the gospel to the apostle Paul. And whenever you read his, his letters, Paul, he's like, look, man, if I'm alive or if I'm dead, if I'm flourishing, if I'm flatlining, it doesn't matter. What matters is the gospel. He says that is a first importance of main importance. And he has this confidence because he knows Jesus on this personal, intimate level, and he knows he's able to guard him. Church, do you have this type of confidence on your final day, on your last day? Do you have this type of God confidence? You've been given a deposit, so don't waste it. And one thing that stands out to me in the story here with the Apostle Paul, where he's at in prison, is he doesn't allow his situation, his circumstance to freeze him. He doesn't stay static from it. He doesn't wallow around in where he's at but instead he's tried to finish his fight and so what he does is he uses this moment to encourage and minister to timothy to do the same things that paul's been doing this whole time and here's what it says verse 13 follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in christ jesus follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me isn't this the call of every discipleship relationship of every relationship, for, for, for every mom and every dad, every grandparent, every person, it's First Corinthians chapter 11, follow me as I follow Jesus. And I don't remember who said it last week, I don't remember if it was Johan or, or Cody a couple weeks ago, but, but I love what they said on this, um, that you are the primary conduit in your child's life for Jesus. Do you get that? You are the primary conduit, you Jesus follower, for the people around you to Jesus, when they watch you, you either, they, you either pull them closer to Jesus or push them away in everything that you do. That's your family, that's your spouse, that's your friends, that's your kids in particular. It's the curse of every leader. You will be followed. And that's all of you in this room this morning. Right now we're in the season of rest where there's a lot of babies. Uh, praise God, we praise God for that, the laughter, the cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Pastor Isaac and uh, and Alexis just welcomed Paisley into the world a couple of days ago. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is if you don't want to get pregnant, don't drink the water here. Um, there's a lot of little babies, a lot of new life at Rest Church right now, and so we're so thankful uh, for that. But I'm reminded of these babies, you know, of my guys, um, when when they were small, and Jordan's still small, but even before they could count to 10, they knew how to imitate right? They knew how to imitate mom and dad. And and I get that some of it is just learning and they're trying to figure out social skills and and all of that. But I think think that maybe God hardwired this into our kids as kind of a primer for us parents to remind us that our life is our child's textbook. That as they watch us, they're going to repeat. As they watch us, they're going to do what we do and say what we say. And, and, and Pastor Cody said this a few weeks ago. He said, it's not your job to raise godly kids, but it's your job to make sure that your kids have godly parents. I love that. Because the pattern that we're talking about, the pattern that you set, they are going to follow And Paul's follow to Timothy here. It's not follow me into prison necessarily, but he's saying in your teaching, in your life, in your conduct, in your speech, do what I've done to follow Jesus. He's telling Timothy, hey, you've been given this divine deposit, man. Don't don't waste it. And this pattern, this idea of pattern, is why whenever I hear someone reject relationship or reject discipleship relationships or even reject, in some contexts, a Bible teacher, and you'll hear this from time to time, they'll go, well, Adam, I don't, I don't need the church. I've, I've got, I've got me, and, me and Jesus. It's just me and my Bible. I believe in God, though. I meet with him every day on my own, and that's good enough. It's this idea, it's like solo, YOLO, uh, Scriptura, and and it's like, you know, sure, like you can do that, and and, like you should be meeting with Jesus on your own, by yourself, a hundred percent, but church, the growth and the protection that you need to experience as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, it's never going to happen individually or even in a singular family dynamic on its own. It always, always, always happens in the context of a church body. See, in the South, you know, fellowship, when we say that word, say fellowship, when we hear that, we think of a potluck on Sunday after church, right? That's what we kind of boiled it down to. But really, the biblical idea of fellowship isn't, isn't that at all. It's about participation. And John Piper says this on fellowship. He says, fellowship is the mutual bond that Christians have with Jesus that he puts, up, puts us in a deep, eternal relationship with one another. Or in other words, there is a profound danger For you, follower of Jesus, when you are isolated from other Christians. See, God did not create you for isolation. He created you after his own triune image for community. But what happens is the enemy, he wants you to get isolated because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy what God has put in you and what better way to do that than if he can have you do that yourself. On the other side, God has created you for community, for for relationships so that he can give you life and give you life more abundantly. You have been created for community. And one of the primary catalysts for Christian growth is other Christians. One of the primary catalysts for growth in your life will be other believers. And so it's submitting yourself under a Paul in your life and training up a Timothy beside you. And so, when we talk about going to church, this isn't an issue over joining some organization. That's not what it's about. It's about uh, submitting yourself to and uh, being obedient to Christ, and it's your attitude toward Christ's people. This pattern, this model, it's a combo, it's a one two punch. Because it involves you and the scriptures. Like you have to know the scriptures. You have to receive and understand the scriptures. And then it's your job to pass them on to hand off the baton to those around you. It's it's, it's not an either or. It's a both and. And so the end part of 13 here, the pattern, this pattern is followed. He says, in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Which just reminds me, it reminds me that, 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 that solid and sound doctrine isn't just meant to change what we know, but it's also meant to change how we live. Because look, you can, be, you can be 100% accurate to what the Word of God says, technically speaking, but if you say the right thing in the wrong way, it's still wrong. It's still wrong. That's what the Pharisees did. They had the right words, but they they said it in the wrong heart. And so they were totally wrong in what they said. And so we do this, we we pattern for those around us, not from a place of uh, of self-seeking superiority or proud arrogance. No, no, no. We do it humbly following the pattern that Jesus has set before us to be faithful. And this power for you, for me to be faithful in this pattern that we follow from Jesus, verse 14, it comes from this, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, guarding the good deposit entrusted to you. I love this verse. I love verse 14 here. It's like the pressure relief valve for me in this. Because when you think about it, like it's like, man, God, how am I, I going to do this? How am I going to accomplish this? He says, well, it's not really about you. It's, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit will guide you in this as you follow this, this pattern. And so it's this prompt that, look, I don't have to be nervous. I don't have to be anxious in doing God's work and handling God's business because the Holy Spirit is guiding me and directing me as long as I'm listening and, and, and following his leading that he has in my life. Man, what an amazing, amazing deposit that he's entrusted you with. And, and, and I think this, this, this conversation uh, fits salvation, you know, guarding the good deposit entrusted to you. Like, like, sure, 100%. It fits that conversation, not height, not depth, not ruler, not principality, not politics. Not even you can separate you from the love of God that's yours through Christ Jesus, 100%. That's true. Like, no one can rob God's bank of you. We know that. But, but that's really not what Paul's his big idea here is, is in this as he's talking, um, following this gospel trend. He says that we're guardian of this gospel deposit by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you, guarding what's been deposited to you. And so this idea of guard, what what the Holy Spirit's doing, what we're doing with this deposit, the idea of guard is to keep safe in, in one regard. But on, on the other hand, it's to use it wisely. It's not that you take this deposit and go stash and hide it away all alone by yourself, but it's that you take it and use it wisely in the ways that God is prompting you to share it. What Paul is talking about really in this is faithfulness. And this is crazy. This is crazy because in your life, God requires So much more faithfulness from you. It's so much greater than you could ever fulfill on your own. Do you get that? The faithfulness that God requires of you, there's no way you can do it out of your own resources. There's no way. But by the power of God, the Holy Spirit in you, you can follow this pattern that he's delegated and given out to us. How are you guarding? How are you guarding this divine deposit that he's given to you. Verse 15, Paul gives us an example of unfaithful, some unfaithful men. He says this, he says, you're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among who are Phygellus and Hermogeneous. And, and what's confusing about this statement from Paul here is the beginning of it. All who are in Asia turned away from me, because when you read that, you go, wait, Paul, well, we know that's not true necessarily because Paul invested in a lot of people in Asia Minor and, and they converted to Christianity and then um, they went on to share the gospel. He even mentions one, and this for here in just a minute. So what, what is Paul talking about? And Acts nineteen twenty six, reiterates this. He says, uh, it says, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in also all, all of Asia, this Paul, he persuaded and turned a great many people saying that gods made with hands aren't gods at all. And so what was happening in Ephesus was that um, prior to this in Acts 19, the apostle Paul had had went into town and and the people were, the craftsmen were making idols. It was this idol making industry. And Paul was like telling them about this God who would free them of demon oppression and, and who was saving people and you could have life eternal. And he was like, "But we don't worship the image of this God. No, no, no. We worship this God. And like that was a real bad thing for the idol making industry, right? It was bad for business. And so they threw a riot and Kick Paul out of town. Basically, he, he rolled up and left. And so we know like all who are in Asia have turned away from me. What is it that Paul is, 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 is saying? Well, it's hyperbolic. This first part, at least, it's hyperbolic. And when you read it, it should encourage you. In fact, if you have your Bible, I want you to underline that phrase. All of Asia has turned away from me. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, Timothy, it feels like, it feels like the whole world is against me right now. It feels like all of Asia has has left me. And I say that this should encourage you in this statement, this honesty before God, because for for God to allow this into the scriptures is this amazing thing. And I think what me and you need to do in our path toward faithfulness is that we gotta get hot, like Pastor Isaac likes to say, right? Uh, Honest, open, and transparent before the Lord. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing in this, sharing his feelings with, with Timothy and honesty, man, honesty, it's, it's one of the reasons that I love the book of Psalms so much. Are you familiar with the book of Psalms, anyone? Okay, a few of us back here. All right, so yeah, I I love the the honesty that comes from from the the book of Psalms. And whenever um, you you look at the Psalms as a whole, theologians, they they typically break it down into um, like three or four categories. I'm going to give you just three this morning really, really quickly. Um, Number one is praise. Number two is thanksgiving. And number three is lament. And you can just leave that up there for a second. When you look at the Psalms as a whole, you kind of see these three sections play out in the book of Psalms, praise, thanksgiving, and lament, and and praise the easiest way I can define this would be like when you read it it's like reading everything is awesome everything is awesome to be part of your team like that that's kind of the tune of, of, of praise and then when you read Thanksgiving um, it's kind of like everything wasn't awesome but God you stepped in and now everything's awesome again that's kind of Thanksgiving and then lament is uh, God nothing's awesome uh, will it ever ever be awesome again and so Those are the three categories. Now guess with me, guess with me when you look at the book of Psalms, which of these three is the largest? It's lament. It's lament. It's this language of lament. And I was thinking about this that this week. Like, we have all these praise songs, we have all these Thanksgiving songs. And then it's like, where have all the lament songs gone? Like in our worship. Where where have all this gone? It's like, where have all the cowboys gone, you know? It's the minor key of worship, so to speak. And, 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 and I think there's really something, this sort of cadence to lament that we've lost. So I want you to see, in a, and really quickly in this flow, it may help you understand what the Apostle Paul's saying and feeling in this moment. And so number one, lament begins with turning to God in prayer. It begins to turn into God. Psalm 77 is one example. It says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I will seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refre- refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints, Selah. And then what happens in this process of lament is after you, you turn to God in, in, in that way and reach out to him in prayer, lament has this almost sort of honest, humble complaining to God where you're able to vocalize or verbalize the tension that you actually feel so you don't have to like keep it stuffed down. Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The psalmist here, he's, he's wrestling with his situation because his circumstance doesn't necessarily match up to God's character or God's purposes, and he's going, God, I don't understand. And so after, after you turn to God, after you complain honestly before God, lament leads to this persistent prayer to God. The psalmist keeps asking, even when his prayer is not answered right then. Verses three and four in Psalm 13. Just says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And I really believe it's because of this process of lament. As you, as you, as you first approach God, and then you're open and honest, complaining to him, and then you're persistent in your prayer. I think all of that leads to this place of trust in God. And so I want you to look at verses five and six of of Psalm 13 and and notice the the pivot on the word, but, and then there's, listen to the decision after the but, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I love, I love, I'm starting to love the language of lament church because it enters this, this place of just deep deep disappointment and and, and lingering hurt and then it boldly reaffirms how trustworthy our God actually is. And I'm telling you, when we learn to lament, it is a life-transforming language that can help transform our, our, our pain, our pits of misery into platforms of praise. It's the language of lament that can be the pathway of praise. And so whenever injustice happens to you or against you, you don't have to create this false positivity in your response. Somebody comes up to you, Joshua says, hey, how's it going? And it's been a terrible week. You might just want to be like, bro, all of Asia has left me, right? That, that's what Paul's doing. He says, all of Asia has, has, has left me. That's the template that Paul's using. But he says, look, I know, I know I believe. And the reality of his situation that comes back to our situation is that not everyone who's a Christian, not everyone you invest in will be faithful or remain faithful to the gospel or, or to teaching it to others. And he mentions two guys specifically there, part B of 15. He, he mentions Phygelus and uh, Hermogenes. Phygelus and Hermogenes. And like, this is the only place in Scripture that these two show up. But like, what an awful thing, right, to be remembered as, as someone who was unfaithful. Like, we don't, we don't know much about, about these two guys. We don't know if they left Paul when he was in Rome or, 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 or earlier on necessarily. But this is a normal human reaction, right? Paul's arrested, and so they create some space. They try to get some distance between himself and Paul, which was what most of the Christian church was doing at that time. It's the same thing me and you do. Somebody's in trouble, a lot of times we'll put distance between us and them so we're not uh, in relationship with them. But Paul calls these two guys out. And they weren't the only two, but he felt the need to call them out for us because of their unfaithfulness. They walked away. I seen this video clip this week. I sent it to the pastor team. It was of uh, Pastor Matt Chandler. And understand when I share with you, what I'm about to share with you. I'm not thinking of anybody in here in particularly, okay? I've been in ministry for a long, long time, all right? and But I will say this, though. If, if, if you feel prompted by it, I'm going to let you and the Holy Spirit work that out, Okay? Um, and, and I've used this language in my own defense before, so the, the finger is in my chest first before it goes into any of, any of you. It, it, it hits me first. But, he was talk, but Pastor Matt, he was talking about betrayal and, and how it's such a real thing inside of the church. And this phrase, the church has hurt me. This is what he said. He said, this has got to be one of the most self-righteous statements any believer could ever make. And and to quote him, he said this, if you think about it, the disciples didn't bail on Jesus because of how Judas acted. And that the church is the only group that celebrates that we are all in the process of sanctification because none of us is perfect. Like I said, I've been in, this, in the church game for a long time, uh, 15 plus years in, in ministry, and I've seen some crazy stuff, okay? Some crazy, crazy kind of stuff. And I've been on the both ends of it. I've been on the end of dishing out the hurt, and I've been on the end of receiving uh, the, the hurt on both sides of that. But, but in those moments, church, whenever we feel hurt, let, we, we don't need to necessarily throw out the baby with the bath water, but instead, maybe we should learn to pause and go, "You know what? You know what? This, this person's a believer over here." And they've done something. Maybe, maybe I need to lean into Jesus. Maybe, you know, and consider their sanctification process. Consider where they're at in their walk with Jesus and and realize and understand, hey, you know what? I'm not sovereign. I don't have the whole picture. First Corinthians 13 says this world is like looking into a mirror after you step out of a hot shower. It's foggy. It's, it's unclear. And so maybe we should consider uh, that. And, and, and I, was walking, I was walking my toddler into daycare this week thinking about this, actually. And, and sometimes I, I, I carry him in, you know, Jordan. And, and sometimes he likes to flex his big boyness. And so he wants to walk in on his own, you know. And so I'll be like, down, down, put, put me down, daddy. And so I do. And so he'll, he'll wrap his hand around my, little, my index finger. And so we'll just, you know, trot into the doorway, and I was thinking about this in regards to sanctification, and I was like, man, it would be like, if to, 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 to say this, to do this, would be like me getting mad at him for being slow, for having short legs, like, like can, you not, can you not walk faster? Like, I'm a professional Christian, I'm trying to go to work, and, and you're slowing me down, right? But that's what we do sometimes. That, that's, what we'll, that's what we'll say sometimes, and, 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 and actually brought some pictures for you um, to, to see. That he did, let me move this out of the way real quick. I think pull up the sanctification cam real quick. Is it, if it pops up. For, there it is, okay. So I brought some pictures that he did at daycare today, uh, or, or not this week. And uh, wait, it's upside down, maybe. I think it's a rocket. And then he, he did this one also. Um, now, now what if, what if I was like, I went back to Jordan, I was like, Jordan, these suck. I was like, is this surrealism? Like, I don't understand the composition. I don't, is it abstract? Like, is this a foot plane or like a rocket doesn't look like this? Like, it would be crazy, right? It would be absolutely insane for me to treat him like that. But that's what we do with other believers sometimes when they, when they walk away. And what we need to remember, church, me and you need to remember, is that we were all right here at some point finger painting in our faith before God. And and he was proudly, even in those moments, in those baby steps, he was still proudly hanging our spiritual growth on his proverbial fridge. We've all been there, or or we all there are there. And so maybe we should maybe we should consider that in those moments. And I'll take this a step further and, and just say, Don't be frustrated with the unfaithfulness of someone else in terms of, of the church. Philippians 2.13 says it's the Holy Spirit who works in you and on you to will and to work for his good pleasure the Holy Spirit's the God he sets the pace he sets the route in their life in your life he is the right hand of God guiding you into holiness and he will bring it to completion as he sees fit Philippians 1.6 he who began the good work and you will bring it on to to completion and so Church, to, to demand grace for yourself and not and not extend it out to the people around you, that's self-righteousness. That's self-righteousness. And so when we punt on Jesus because another Christian doesn't live up to our standard or they've made us mad, I'll just tell you, that is a, that's a dangerous, dangerous place to stand in front of the living God. The church, <laughs> the church, man, just read it. It's always been a mess. It's always been a mess. It's still a mess. It's just, uh, Matt said one thing. He said, it's just amplified now that we have social media. Like, it's just louder. You can just see more about what's going on in different different, different places. And then the very last thing on this, and I'll move on. Um, Matt said, accountability isn't abuse, and calling people to holiness isn't controlling. It's just what's in the book. And so on this, you can spur on, you should, you should encourage. Um, Iron sharpens iron, but ultimately it's not up to you. What anyone else does. You control you and what the Holy Spirit is saying. in your life, and then you trust God enough that He's got your life under control and their life under control. See, the church already has a Savior. What the church needs is a Savior servant who is willing to do His bidding and expand His kingdom. And uh, <laughs> I was thinking about calling this sermon uh, sanctification, finger painting for Jesus, but anyway, I digress. Um, last thing, wrapping up, Paul brings us in front of us an example of a faithful man. 16 through 18, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me. He wasn't ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and, and we all know the service that he rendered to me in Ephesus. So people will walk away. In my ministry, I've had people walk away from me, walk away from the gospel even, but I'll tell you this, a lot more have stayed. And every once in a while um, in your journey with Jesus, you'll have uh, this, this breath of fresh air show up in an Forest, And that's what he does for Paul. He stands to strengthen and support Paul. And, and, and the whole picture of Anissa Forest is I think he really just has the ministry of presence. Because Paul, he's in prison and evidently, it was hard for Paul to find, or hard for Onesiphorus to find Paul. And, and, and in Rome, it's the capital city of an empire, over a million people. Prisons didn't work then like they do today. There weren't the same kind of records, and so Onesiphorus going to find Paul is like looking for a, stack of, or a single needle in a stack of needles. Yet he continues on, and he finds Paul. And we know that he, he probably brought Paul food. He probably brought Paul clothing. He brought Paul support and encouragement. That was what Onesiphorus did in this ministry of of, of presence. When others walked away, Onesiphorus stayed. And he offered encouragement and ended up impacting one of the greatest Christian leaders of all time. Onesiphorus' name, he means the bringer of help. And so he lives up to this. He didn't waste his divine deposit that had been given to him, but instead he guarded the gospel that was entrusted. You know, for me, a typical Saturday morning in, in our family, um, it consists of us trying to sleep in uh, to the glorious hour of 8 a.m. Parents get that. Um, and, and normally, I'm the first one up. My wife's usually the first one up during the week, but um, she goes to bed at like. Two thirty or something crazy in the morning. She goes up really early, but I'm usually the the one that's up earliest on Saturday morning. But the very first thing that happens whenever our boys get up, um, no doubt, one of the first things they ask for is they want something to eat. And and uh, Laura, she'll usually uh, she'll usually make like herself like an egg sandwich on her stove top, and then she'll usually make me an egg burrito, and usually make Jordy some scrambled eggs. Now. What happens, though, is that whenever they wake up, and for some reason we weren't awake, you know, what they wouldn't do is they wouldn't go over to the neighbor's house and knock on the door and be like, hey, I want some breakfast, right? No, no, no. What they do is they approach us boldly without any regard, no matter where we're at, what they want, right? We could be in the bedroom. We could be in the bathroom. It doesn't matter, right? If they need something, they're coming. They're, mommy, I want some juice, 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 juice. Mommy, I need some juice. Like No matter where we're at, they approach us boldly, and, 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 and even though we might be tempted to get upset with them in those moments, depending on what we're doing, the boldness of itself is proof that they know who's guarding them. They know who's looking out for them. And in this book, Adopted for Life, a doctor named Dr. Russell Moore, he, he tragically describes the reverse of our of me and Laura's breakfast scene. And he talks about this orphanage that was in Russia that he and his wife came across as they, were, as they were pursuing adoption. And he writes this, he says, the silence in the nursery was eerie because the babies in the cribs never cried. And it wasn't because they never needed anything, but it was because they'd been conditioned that no one cared enough to answer them. See, church, kids that are confident in the love of a guardian cry they cry and for the Christian our lament whenever we'll learn to take it to our father in in heaven it's proof of our connection to him the greater guardian who's watching over our soul and so I'll just ask once again this morning how are you guarding the deposit that's been given to you